Loving Father in heaven, what a joy it is to see that you are alive and well in all of our lives. And Father, I just pray right now that I would be hidden and Jesus would be seen. May your spirit touch hearts here tonight. I pray that there would be some soul that hears you calling them home today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I don't know how well you can see this. And I don't know if the lights would would be better dim or bright, whoever is in charge. What do you guys think? Off? Why don't we turn the lights off then? Can we do that? I am going to share with you, of course, about patience, and particularly the patience of Jesus. But it has to do with what I believe are the three most powerful words in the Bible. Now, for those of you who know me well, you could probably guess it. For those of you who have heard me before, it would be cheating if you guessed it. So I'd like to ask, does anyone know what the three most powerful words in the Bible are? Any guesses? Anyone? Love? That's only one word. God is love. Okay. That's, that's pretty fair. God is love. It's the first three words of patriarchs and prophets. It's the last three words of the great controversy. Kind of the beginning and the end. But that's not it. These are three words that I believe will transform people's lives more than any other three words in the Bible. These, I believe, have led to more conversions than any other three words in the Bible. Yes, I'm I'm sure that's it. But faith, close. That's one word. Well, I'll just go along with the story. And you can be trying to guess it. As I go along. That's a, more than three words, but that's okay. That's true. This is actually a picture of a young man. Some of you may know him, and I'm sorry if, if you actually do know him because it spoils the presentation for you. His name is Sean. And what would you say? Does he look happy in this picture? Sure. He looks pretty happy. You know, young, healthy, happy, almost looks kind of um, easygoing, would you say, in the picture? Kind of relaxed. This is a young man who I had the privilege of meeting as a physician, and he was my patient. He was just like most young people. He loved his family, he loved his friends. He went to school, very intelligent young man. He graduated from academy in two and a half years. Has anyone graduated from academy in two and a half years? Not many. Very dedicated, very disciplined young man. Had a loving family, father and a mother, little sister. Was involved in missions, very active in the community worked hard, worked every summer, went to summer school. However, this young man, Sean, had a little different twist to his life. At the age of 15, he was diagnosed with osteosarcoma. It's a very serious cancer that often affects uh, young males. But praise the Lord, in spite of getting this disease at 15, he still graduated from academy. 
in two and a half years. He overcame the disease by God's grace and was in remission. I met Sean, unfortunately, in a little different situation. I was working one night in the emergency department and my triage nurse comes and grabs me out of a room. And it's very rare for them to disturb me with a patient unless they really need my help. They said, Dr. Riesenberger, you have to come out to triage right now. And whenever they say that, I know that something is very, very serious. And as I'm walking out there very quickly, I said, well, what's going on? Well, I think there's a young man out there who can't breathe. So I come into the triage bay, and I see a young man hunched over, just having very great difficulty in breathing. It doesn't look quite like the young man that you see here. He's quite pale, and he's got a lot of swelling around his body. And I say, bring him right back. They say, well, you've got a patient in that room. I said, move him out of that room. So I brought him back, and I talked to him, and I said, well, we've got some oxygen here on you, Sean. Are you feeling a little better? He said, yes, I am, but I'm getting tired. And that's always a very ominous sign. That means that in a while, he may not be able to breathe on his own. I quickly uh, asked him a few things about his medical history. He told me about the history of cancer. And he felt that perhaps the cancer had caused some fluid to reaccumulate in his lung since this had happened before. And I said, okay, fair enough. Uh, we can just help you out, perhaps drain the fluid once we've helped you breathe a little bit better. And he said, okay. However, when I got the chest x-ray back, the whole chest x-ray was completely whited out with what was possibly fluid. There was just a little window of lung left on one side, which he was utilizing to sustain the oxygenation for his whole body. I talked to Sean about some very serious things very quickly. I said, Sean, it, it looks like we, we may have to help you breathe, and that means putting a breathing tube down your throat into your trachea and putting you on the ventilator for a while. And he said, well, that's okay if you absolutely have to. I said, before we do that, uh, the nurses are trying to get an IV in you uh, so that we can give you medications to help support your blood pressure, to give you fluids, to give you medicines. However, he was so swollen that none of the nurses could find any place to get an IV. And unfortunately, I, I couldn't even see any veins on him. He had so much swelling that all of the anatomic landmarks were destroyed that we normally would find veins. And so I had to do what's called a central line where I go into one of the deep veins of the body, either the femoral the subclavian or the, the jugular vein. Now, I normally don't have any trouble uh, with these. I've done hundreds of them, but this time I had a lot of trouble. I missed, and then missed again, and missed again, and missed again. And I was very, very concerned. And uh, I took some time, and I prayed, both in my own mind, and I actually asked Sean and his family if they would like to pray. And they did. We had a prayer together. And I tried one more time. And interestingly enough, in this area, in the groin where I was going, the only really bad thing that you can hit is the artery and the bladder. Now, the artery is fairly common as far as a mistake. A lot of people hit the artery. Uh, is that bad? Yes, it is bad to poke a large artery with a big needle. 
But all you have to do is just hold some pressure. Now, the bladder is harder to hit. You have to really be going crazy with the needle to hit the bladder. But I went in one time, and I got a lot of yellow fluid out. And I said, oh, no. But I actually didn't hit the bladder. He was so full of what we call edema, or excessive fluid, that this was just the extra fluid that was in the tissues, in the lymphatic system. I repositioned again, said a prayer, and I had to put the needle in about seven inches before I hit the vein. But I praise the Lord that I got it. I gave him medications quickly. Uh, we put the breathing tube down. I intubated him, stabilized him, and admitted him to the ICU, the intensive care unit. I'm going to tell you what happened to Sean in a little while. In the meantime, I'm going to share about something that um, I often do with my patients. As I pray for all of them when I go home and even before my shift. But the special ones, I will follow up on. Usually I will visit them the next day. I'll try to come early for my shift and, and see how they're doing. And that's what I did for Sean. I went up to the ICU to see how he was doing. His parents were all there. His family was there. And as I walked in the room, I, I thought of another who was going through great suffering, and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus, I believe, suffered the most of his life in the Garden of Gethsemane, and I'd ask you to join me there right now. Matthew chapter 26, verse 38. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 38. I think this is a very important passage because it shows us very plainly that Jesus understands what it means to suffer, what it means when things don't go the way you expected it to, and to still be patient, to still go forward in spite of that. Matthew 26, verse 38. Then saith he unto them, Jesus to his disciples, My soul is exceedingly what? Unto what? Unto death. You know, it's very amazing to me. Whenever people share a medical problem with you, and they say, well, you know, I broke my wrist. You know, you can relate to that, right? Or, you know, my grandma is struggling with cancer. Oh, that's terrible, you know. Oh, you know, my dad is facing bypass surgery. We can all sympathize and empathize with things like that. But what about when someone shares something psychiatric with you? Have you ever noticed that there's a lot less empathy and sympathy? It kind of just goes, well, brother, I think you need to pray more. Have you been having your morning devotions? You hear things like that, don't you? But I want to assure you, for those of you who have ever been depressed... Sad. Did it sound like Jesus was sad here? He said he was sorrowful unto what? Unto death. Believe me, Jesus understands what it is to be depressed. And the good news is, is that he can help you and I because he does understand. Tarry ye he here and watch with me. Sometimes all you need to do is, is be there for somebody, right? When they're going through a hard time. You don't need to say anything. You know, it's so interesting. We, 
and give some relationship seminars about once a quarter. And oftentimes, we as men, whenever our wives share a problem, or our girlfriends, or whomever, what is our first thing? Do we want to what? We want to fix it. Well, you know, I'm going to go talk to your boss right now and tell him, no, 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 no. That's not what I want you to do. Sometimes you guys just want us to, to listen and to be there, right? But we got to fix it. At this point, Jesus knew that there was nothing his disciples could do to fix it. He knew he had to trod the wine press alone. But he wanted them where? He wanted them near. He said, stay up, watch with me. And he went a little farther and fell on what? His face. And he prayed saying, oh my father, if it be possible, let this what? Let's go to the cross. Is that what he said? No, he didn't. Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but what? As thou wilt. Jesus did not feel like this was right. Like this was good for him. He did not feel like going to the cross. Oftentimes you and I will be thrown a curveball in our lives. And it will test our patience. It will test our faith. But I guarantee you there's going to be times when you don't feel like doing the right thing. When you don't feel like getting up and having your devotions. Does Jesus understand that feeling? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. But I'm so thankful that though Jesus felt that way, he said what? He said, nevertheless, not what I want, but who? But thy will, Father. And that will was for who? It was on our behalf, wasn't it? Jesus Christ was choosing against his feelings for a greater good, which was you and me. I'm so thankful for that. But I'm going to draw it even closer to home. Turn to Luke. What did Luke do? This is Luke chapter 22, verse 44. What was Luke's profession? He's a physician. I find it's very appropriate that he comments on the physiology and the medical things that happen in the Garden of Gethsemane. Luke chapter 22, verse 44. And being in a what? In an agony. He prayed more earnestly and his sweat was as it were, what? Great drops of blood falling down to the ground. No, so what does that represent? Great drops of blood falling down to the ground. What do you think that represents? Well, it represents great drops of blood falling down to the ground. <laughs> because I can assure you that this is real. Those of you who are, are physicians can testify to this fact. We actually had a patient. She was actually in labor. And this was the worst labor of her life complicated hours and hours and hours had gone by the baby's heartbeat was dropping lower and lower and lower and lower and the nurse said you have to push like you have never pushed before or your baby is going to die and she pushed and pushed and pushed and just screamed and the baby came out and then she was kind of relieved and kind of went to wipe her forehead and it was just pure blood and she starts freaking out and she says, what's wrong? What's, what does this mean? And the nurse said, it means you did a good job. <laughs> because under periods of extreme agony and stress, the small capillaries below the surface of the skin will actually rupture 
and bleed into the hair follicles, into the sweat glands. This is a real phenomenon. Jesus did sweat blood for you and I. It does happen. Rarely, but it does happen. Jesus did not feel like going through with the sacrifice. He did not always understand what was going on in the providence of His life. Who loves Bible promises? I love Bible promises. Can you think of a Bible promise that's your favorite that was said by Jesus Himself and it gives us assurance that no matter what happens, no matter what tries our patience, that God is there. Can you think of a Bible promise? Or maybe two of them. Yes, Matthew 28. Yes, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Lo, I am what? I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world or end of the age. Is there another verse that says something like that? I can do all things, absolutely. But this is God assuring us that He's going to be with us, though, no matter what. That's good. That's excellent. Hebrews, yes, Hebrews 13, verse 5. What does that say? It says, He Himself has said. Who's Himself? Jesus. I will never, what? Leave thee, nor forsake thee. Now, I want you to keep that in mind, that Jesus Himself has said that. But I want you to read something else that Jesus said. I want you to turn to Mark chapter 15. Verse 29. Mark chapter 15 and verse 29. And as they passed by, they railed on him, wagging their heads, saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. We're told that demons in human form were actually gathered about the cross, taunting Jesus Christ to give up on the plan of redemption. Save thyself and come down from the cross. Likewise also, the chief priests mocking said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others. Himself He cannot save. Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. And when the sixth hour was come, there was what? Darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted what? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken? I think that's a very important passage to understand thoroughly. What did Jesus promise in Matthew and Hebrews? What did He say? I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus understood the character of God. But despite the fact that He understood the character of God, what did He just say? So why do you think He said that? Was he maybe putting on an act or, well, okay, Psalm says I have to say something here in about 30 seconds, so i got to ask for the vinegar, say I'm thirsty. And Was he playing a game? Jesus would never put on a show. Jesus said it because why? He felt it. 
he felt that God had forsaken him. And I believe that everyone in this room is going to feel like that someday or has already felt like that. Things don't always happen the way we plan, do they? Things don't always work out in the way we hope or expect. And the key is, what do we do when those things happen? Do we have a patience that can endure delay, that can endure hardships, that can endure things that we don't understand? Did Jesus have things that he couldn't understand? Yes, he did. He himself, who promised that he would never leave you nor forsake you, felt what? Forsaken by the God of heaven. Have you ever felt that way? You don't have to tell me because I already know. I know we all have. But who understands that? Jesus does, doesn't he? And the good news is, is that he can give us an example of how to have the patience to get through those times, can't he? Because Jesus, after he said this, he cried with a loud voice. It is what? It is finished. Now, did he cry, it is finished? Did he say that? He shouted as a conqueror. It is finished. He had gained the victory. But he gained the victory not by feelings, but by faith. He patiently endured the agony of the cross and the hiding of his father's face, of not knowing that he would come out of the grave as a conqueror, willing to lay down his eternal life forever for you and I. He patiently endured as seeing the unseen. You know, it's interesting. Many people say that Jesus had no advantage over who? Over us. I would actually say something even further than that. I say that Jesus actually had a disadvantage compared to us. Because what did the Pharisees just mock Christ to do? He said, well, we'll believe that you're the king of Israel if you do what? You come down from the cross. Now, let me tell you something right now. I count myself as in pretty good shape, pretty good health. But if you take a nail and put it through my radius and ulna onto a big oak log and you do that to my other and you go through the metatarsals of my foot and you spike me to the tree and you say, Tim, come down from the cross. I'm not coming down. No matter how hard I move or struggle, right? But you say to Jesus, Jesus, come down. He can come down. Can't he? We're told that with a look, with just a glance, he could lay all of his tormentors in the dust in an instant. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the difficulty to not do that? Because you see, you and I can't. Jesus can. But it's because he didn't that we have hope of salvation, is it not? I'm so thankful that though Jesus certainly suffered as I do and he has no advantage over me, I actually feel he had a disadvantage compared to me. But he gained the victory nonetheless. Against all odds, our Savior endured on our behalf. I'm going to share 
the three most powerful words in the Bible. It's in a very familiar passage. Turn with me to Daniel. Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3 and verse 14. Very familiar story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get a summons. We have the image. When the music plays, you all fall down. Very simple command. When the drums beat, when the flute plays, when the guitar strums, you worship before the golden image. Notice that it's not an image of gold and silver and what? It's what? Made of all what? So what do you think Nebuchadnezzar was trying to say with that? That's because he was the head of gold, right? He wanted to be a head, neck, chest, everything of gold. He's saying, I want you guys to affirm that this is going to be the reality for the rest of time. So the music plays, and there's three lone figures standing in the vast throng of thousands. Now, interestingly enough, were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego the only Jews that went to Babylon? Were they the only captives? Did everyone else just like get away or something or get slaughtered? No, the king went? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. A lot of the king's lineage went. But where were they when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were standing up? They were on the ground. They were on the ground. So the king, does he like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, by the way? He does, doesn't he? They were how many times smarter than everyone else? Ten times. They were actually smarter after a period of just 10 days. But they were 10 times better after a period of three years, right? That's pretty significant. I don't know how you get 10 times an A. I mean, that's, I don't even know how to comprehend that unless the other guy's got just mega Fs, like 10% or something. Nebuchadnezzar says, okay, because I like you, you know, maybe you didn't hear it clearly, so I'll repeat it one more time. Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do ye not serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now, this is kind of a silly question, isn't it? He's like, don't you serve my gods? Dude, we've been here for three years. We've never served your gods. (laughs) He knew this. Now, if you're ready, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? There's almost kind of spite there at the end. Because do you think, do you think Nebuchadnezzar knew about God? Yes, at this point he knew about God. But he's just saying to them, well, you know, God didn't come through for the rest of the nations. You know, I'm, I'm the big honcho now. Who's going to help you out? I don't, you know, I don't see God helping you out. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And what? He will 
deliver us out of thine hand, O king. That was amazing because they affirm their faith in God. That's powerful. That's great. You know what? We're, we're not going to serve your gods. And they're confident that God will do that. And he what? He will deliver us out of your hands. They're confident in that. They have faith, absolute trust in Jesus Christ. But I don't think that that's the most impressive thing. I think the most powerful words in the Bible come in the next verse. The three most powerful words in the Bible are what verse 18 starts with is, is what? But if not. But if not. I believe that those are the three most powerful words in the Bible because what they're saying is that King... We won't serve anyone but Jesus Christ if He saves us and if we roast anyway. Because it is very logical and it makes sense to serve a God that's going to do what you say, right? That's going to bail you out anytime you call on Him, right? It's another thing entirely to say, I'm going to serve Him if he doesn't. I will challenge you tonight. Is your faith an outcome-based religion? Do you believe in God because he comes through for you? Certainly that builds your faith, does it not? But is that why you worship God? Do you worship God because he does what you want or because he's God? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego says, we serve God because He's God. Whether or not He saves us, our decision is the same, Nebuchadnezzar. Whether we're saved or whether we're burned up on the altar of sacrifice. But if not, I believe with all my heart that to truly have the patience of Jesus Christ, you must understand these three words in the Bible. You must understand that when you don't get that job or when your girlfriend breaks up with you, when you're going through a divorce, when your kids leave the church, when those things happen, where is your faith? Where is God at that time? If the three worthies had burned up, would it have changed who God was? What happened to John the Baptist? Was he delivered? No. He was killed. But Jesus said that he was which among the prophets? He was the greatest, was he not? God sees things as we do not see, my friends. God is not about the outcomes of this earth. He is interested in the ultimate outcome, and that is your salvation and my salvation. I'm going to share what happened to Sean because I went to the ICU and I visited and I found that after I had resuscitated him, put the central line in, intubated him, and done everything that I could to save this young man's life, he died. He passed away. 
In fact, he passed away the next day. He didn't even last 24 hours. But his parents were there. And I talked with them and I prayed with them. And I asked them what happened. And they said, you know, Sean did very well, actually. And I'm like, what? He did well on the ventilator. The ventilator you put him on allowed him to rest. And he came off it the next morning. And he was normal. He could talk. He could breathe easily. His family came and visited him. He talked to his grandmother, his grandfather. He got to see his sister. And most of all, he made his peace with God. He confessed his sins. He said farewell to each one of us. And then he died. You granted Sean a window in time for closure with his family and with his God. And for that, we are very grateful, Dr. Riesenberg. And I, I think at that point, I started to cry myself. Because I came to realize is that sometimes the outcomes aren't what you want in this life. Sometimes things don't work out the way you plan. But ultimately, things will be made right. This picture was actually a card that I got from the family that you see up there. And it says, Dear Dr. Riesenberger, we wish to thank you for the special care you gave to Sean and us. We know that you are an answer to our prayers and our need. I'm sending you Sean's memorial service. Perhaps you'd like to get better acquainted with our dear son. Thank you again, and God bless you. I am a Christian, not because of what God does, but because of who He is. He has proven Himself enough to me. I don't need God to be a Santa Claus for me. I don't need God to do what I say. He has proven Himself as a God of love to me enough. I can now say, I will serve you, God, if you bless me, but if not, I will serve you anyway. Because that is what Jesus did. That is what Sean did before he faded away into the grave. And I pray that each one of you can say the same thing. I too went through a very difficult time in my life. I broke up with the most beautiful woman I had ever met inside and out to that point in my life. And I was going through a very hard time and I knew I had made the right choice in breaking up because it was based on principle. It was based on the Bible, based on God's Word, on the spirit of prophecy. But that didn't make it easy because when I broke up with this young woman, I cried for every day. Have any of you ever really cried? Like really, really cried. I'm talking about to the point of like dehydration. Where you can't cry anymore, where the tear ducts are just kind of empty and just kind of sob and sob, but you know, nothing doesn't come out anymore. Your nose just stops running. There's nothing left. I cried that way for a month every single day straight. It was the hardest decision I ever had to make to end my relationship with her. 
And I was actually at dinner with a friend. Actually, a friend of mine from Loma Linda. Some of you probably know them. And I said, Tim, do you ever think you'll love a woman as much as you loved your ex-girlfriend? And I paused for a moment. And I said, yes, I will. But it's not because I feel that way. But I say it by faith. This was the worst thing I've ever gone through in my life. But I know that Jesus Christ never takes something away without giving you something better. And if it's not in this life, if I never meet another young woman that I can love more in this life, although I'd like to, (laughs) then God will make it up, not only in this life, but in the life to come. He knows what makes us happy, doesn't He? I'd like to share a brief passage from, again, one of my favorite authors. This is in Desire of Ages, page 480. And I pray you'd contemplate this and ask yourself why you serve God. It is not the fear of punishment or the hope of everlasting reward that draws Christ's followers to follow Him. They behold the Savior's matchless love revealed throughout His pilgrimage on earth from the manger of Bethlehem to Calvary's cross and the sight of Him attracts. It softens and subdues the soul. Love awakens in the heart. They hear His voice and they follow Him. I pray that your reasons for being a Christian are not because of the joys of heaven, the pleasures. There are a lot of joys and pleasures, certainly. And I hope your motivation for following God is not the fear of hell. Certainly these are motivators. And initially, they are common ones that bring us to Christ, are they not? But I pray that you would move beyond that as we ascend Peter's ladder. That you, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, can look into the face of death, or loss, or sadness, or betrayal, and say, but if not, as Jesus did. I shared this story, actually at a Bible camp, a slightly different version, for those between the ages of 12 and 16. And the presentation called But If Not was the most moving to one of the campers there at the Bible camp who was 15. And they wrote this poem entitled But If Not. And I pray that as I read this poem, you would do some very serious heart searching right now. And that you too would let go of an outcome-based religion, would let go of a religion that depends on what happens to you rather than what happens in you. And that you would say, with Jesus Christ, with my camper, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the universe that watches us now, but if not... I'm trusting, Lord, in you, whatever is your will to do. 
send grief or pain or suffering, just send me a song to sing. I know your power to deliver in love. You rule all the universe above. I know all things will work for good, and yet, but if not. By thy grace I will serve thee. By thy love I will serve thee. I cannot look to tomorrow, only today. All things will work together for good in heaven someday. My belief cannot be based on my trials. You're coming in just a little while. Though the night may seem cold, I know the way I will take will bring me forth as gold. Until then, help my faith not to waver in the light of eternity, both now and forever. Help my belief to stay strong even yet. By thy grace, and may I say, but if not. Please bow your heads as we pray. O Lord Jesus, we are not like you. Our religion and our reason for serving you is so far from true love. But Lord, we want to be different. We want to change. Lord, thank you for the noble examples we have seen from those who have gone before us. That they served you because you were God, not because of what happened to them. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that though you were thrown the hardest lot of all of humanity, you patiently endured. You kept on the blood-stained path. You held strong to humanity and would not let us go until you had redeemed us from the power of sin and the grave. Lord Jesus, I pray, there may be one that is listening to me now that realizes that they have not been able to say, but if not, they have followed you for different reasons. And I pray, Lord, that tonight, this night, we would choose to serve you no matter what. In Jesus' name.